before I begin this morning, last week we finished what had been a three-week missions emphasis for our church, and uh, we had faith promises that we began to collect, and I just wanted to give you a quick highlight. We're not done collecting everything yet, but I want to thank you for your faithfulness and for your generosity because it looks as if our faith promises increased over 40% in just this one year. Uh, in fact, I, I think our early numbers were that we, uh, for the last couple of years, have had about $6,000 a month that we have been giving toward missionary support, and it looks like that has jumped to over $10,000 a month uh, at the end of this. Give yourselves a hand, yeah. We're so thankful for that. Uh, because that means that we are a going church for a coming king, as uh, those of you that heard the message last week uh, will remember, and we're so excited. I do believe that when our focus begins to move outside the walls, that there's a blessing that God begins to uh, allow us to have, and we're certainly in a season of harvest here at Grace Assembly, and I'm thankful for that. This morning, I'm excited because we get to launch a new series today, and this series is called Seize the Moment. Uh, this has been something that's been kind of bubbling in my heart for the last several months, and I've just been basically asking the Lord when he was going to release me to begin to minister on this topic, and, and uh, I'm excited for us to begin that. And over the course of the next few weeks, uh, Pastors Jeff and Pastor Pablo and I will all be participating as we, as we talk about this aspect of understanding the times that we live in and seizing every moment and seizing the opportunities that God gives us. And uh, for those of you that may be interested, our, our board went through, uh, our pastor and board went through a book about a year or so ago called Chasing the Daylight by Erwin McManus, and it was really something that began to spur in my heart uh, a, a direction that we needed to go, and so I want to make sure that he gets some credit for some of the outlines that we'll be following as we go along. But today I want to talk to you about choose life, choose life. Father, as we, as we come this morning, we recognize that there are many different reasons that we may choose to go to church. Some of them have to do with the fact that this is just what we do. It's kind of a sense of duty. We've grown up in this, and so we come because our week would be all messed up if we didn't attend on a Sunday morning. There are others that are here today because they've been invited as a guest of somebody, and they really don't know what's going on, and they don't know what to expect, and they're kind of sitting here on pins and needles, and I pray that in the middle of all of this, what they would receive from you today is a word from God that would just stir their heart. There may be those today that are sitting here and are trying to decide whether there's even a God or not, and I ask that your presence would begin to uh, address some of the questions within their heart that you would lead them to a place where you could become real in their life. For others, Lord, we have come because we recognize that this is the nourishment that we get and we so enjoy our time with you. But I pray right now that you would allow us to have a deep understanding of what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to his church and that we would receive it with willing hearts. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever noticed that when you were young, time seemed to go really, really slowly. Like, it took forever to get to sixth grade. <clears throat> you couldn't wait for the summertime as a kid just to be able to have that time. And, and, and then as you begin to get older, those same minutes that took forever when you were a kid seem to go faster the older you get. And, and as a result of that, the minutes we seem to have that are flying by and, and we don't get to step into every minute fully present from time to time. And we, we tend, the older we get, to think in large chunks. In fact, we don't remember minutes. We, rem we remember events. We remember moments. 
We, we celebrate years. We celebrate birthdays and anniversaries. We, we rarely celebrate weeks or days, and unless, of course, you're dating. And if there's anybody in here dating, then I have been around enough of you to know that when I'm asking, what are you celebrating? Oh, we're going out to dinner because this is our two-month anniversary. And, and, you know, then you begin to celebrate things like that. And I always laugh and say, if two months, if, if you're celebrating two months, you have set your expectations way too low. Uh, there are other things to celebrate. But did you know that the number of minutes there is in an average lifespan? There is 525,600 minutes a year. One-third of those minutes, you're going to be asleep. Another one-third of those minutes, you're not going to remember because you're kind of half in and half out, which gives you one-third of those minutes that you have the opportunity to be fully present so if you live 70 years, you will have 3,679,200 minutes. And we look at that in the totality and we, we come to an understanding that that's way too many minutes to pay attention to. You can't possibly maximize all of those minutes in your life. But inside those minutes, there's something that's more significant and those are called moments. And if you have a bulletin, there's an outline there that you can follow if you want to jot down some notes. And the first point that I'd like to make to you this morning is it's not the minutes, it's the moments that count. It's not the minutes, it's the moments. I'm really convinced that what matters in our life is not the minutes but the moments because we know that all the minutes that we live in our life don't have equal weight. And in the middle of those minutes, there are moments that change everything. In fact, you will discover over your lifetime, the older that you get, that as you look back on your life, there are probably five or six defining moments in your life that you can begin to attach all of the other moments to. Five or six decisions that you make that change the course of your life that then become the guideposts for everything else that happens. And behind these defining moments is what I would submit to you would be divine moments. Moments where God's fingerprints are all over what is taking place. And in those divine moments, you begin to recognize that God is up to something leading and guiding and has directions and plans that if you will just step into those moments, it unleashes a different future than what you may have expected. How many of you like to watch a good movie? Few of you do. <clears throat> I would suggest to you that what makes a good movie, how many of you have a favorite movie or two or three movies that you can watch again and again? Even though you know what's going to happen, you watch them again, and the reason that you do that is because good movies lead us to a moment and then from a moment, and then to another moment and then from that moment, and then to another moment and then from that moment, and from that, we, even though we know what's going to happen, get caught up again and again in the moments that make a good movie. You see, the painful movies are ones that just have minutes, and they seem to be long minutes. But the good movies are those that have moments. And at the end of those good movies, you're thinking, oh, that went way too fast because of the moments that were involved in it. So what makes a minute a moment. I would submit to you that it is the power of a moment comes in the choices that you make. The power of a moment is the choice that you make. If I were to ask you, 
what's the most spiritual thing that you do in any given day or in any given week? Some of you may respond that, you know, the most spiritual thing that I do is that I have prayer. Maybe you have a specific time of the day that you pray and read the Bible and and that is set aside as sacred and that's the most spiritual thing that you do. For others it might be, you know, the most spiritual thing that I do is is I, I just take some time to worship the Lord. Maybe I like to play worship music while I'm driving or at the house and and just in those moments I, I begin to worship and that's the most spiritual thing that I do and for some of you, it may be that your life is not very spiritual and you're here and, and, and you're wondering, you know, if I have to look at my life, there's not a lot of spiritual things. So the most spiritual thing that I have ever done is to be here today. I'm just, I'm in church. And for some of you, that's the most spiritual thing that you do. But here is the thing. Whatever it is that stands as your most spiritual moment, it was preceded by something else. It was preceded by a decision. You chose to make something a spiritual moment. You get up in the morning and you choose to have time with the Lord. You choose to read the Bible. You choose to pray. You got up this this morning and for whatever reason, you chose to get ready to shut the alarm clock off and to get up on a windy day and come to the house of the Lord. You chose to be here. That significant moment was preceded by a choice that you made. And I want you to understand that the most spiritual act that any individual engages in is the act of choice. Whether you consider yourself a spiritual person or not, you must understand that every choice that you make is a sacred act. It is the most powerful and precious gift that God has ever given to you. The power to choose. You've been given the power to choose. In fact, you cannot understand the scriptures if you do not understand that that central in the story of scriptures is that God has created humanity in his image and in his likeness. And because we are created in the image and likeness of God, God had to give to us the power to make choices. That is the creative aspect of God alive in you and I. And the most significant choice that you will ever make is the choice to live. Every single significant moment in Scripture is centered around somebody making a choice. This morning there are words of Moses that I want to read to you. Before I read them, let me just kind of set the stage for you. Moses was leading the people... He knew that his time of leadership was about over. He had led them out of Egypt. They'd been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. He was about to die, and his leadership was going to be handed off to Joshua. And these are the last words, so to speak, that he gives to the people that he's been wandering with and leading for these 40 years. And you can find them in Deuteronomy chapter 30, in verses 15 and 16, and in verses 19 and 20. Moses speaking before them says this, See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I have commanded you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. Verse 19. 
This day I will call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listening to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I find that there are moments where everything comes into perspective and that you get clarity as to how life actually happens. In fact, I'm convinced that a lot of people today are confused about how God works. In fact, they, they're constantly saying, Lord, I wish you would do this, and I wish you would work this way, or I'm disappointed because you didn't do things this way. And as a result of that, it begins to test your faith, and some of you have even wondered, is there, is there a God because of the way that he has worked or not worked in situations that you thought he should? In fact, a lot of the questions that we have is, is we don't understand what it looks like to live a life of faith, and what role do we play versus what role does God play? What is God supposed to do, and what are we supposed to do? And because of that, we are sometimes disappointed because God didn't come through we don't think God did his part. But what if God has done his part and he's presenting you with moments to do your part and you are standing by waiting for something to happen and God is waiting for you to act? What if God has already done his part and is preparing moments for you to step fully into so that he can work through you and in you? We see... At the beginning of the story, that there is Adam and Eve. They're created by God. They are placed in paradise. And you may not know this, but the first command of Scripture is not a don't. We often think of the Ten Commandments as, you know, do not do this, do not do that, do not, you know. And as a result of that, we get this image in our mind that God's created man and women, and he put them there, and he says, and don't. And so his first command is don't do this. That's not the first command. When he created Adam and Eve, his, his first commands were not. His first command was do. He said, I want you to eat freely of all of the trees of the garden. Now, I don't know about you, but I can love a God that tells me to eat freely. I, I love that about God. His first command created you, put you there and said, eat freely. He also said, you're naked and be not ashamed. And I'm not sure how all that works because some of us certainly eat and we're clothed and ashamed. But he said, eat freely. I want you to do something. I want you to live. I want you to enjoy. And so his opening command in the scripture is not a don't, it's a do. It's to eat freely. And the entire narrative of Genesis is that God created us to choose. He created us with a choice. He created this place with an eat freely attitude and there's endless numbers of good choices that they could make. And there's only one destructive choice. Because that is the way God is. In creating us, he gave us so many options to choose life, so many things that we can choose freely to enjoy him and to enjoy all that he has created. He gives us so many options. You see, life doesn't limit your choices. Life increases your choices. And we look at the story of Adam and Eve, and we know, of course, they, they made the one choice that stole life from them. But why, we ask, would God give us a choice if he knew that we were going to make a bad choice? And there's only one reason why God would create us with choice. It's 
because of love. It's because of love. You see, if God wanted us to get it right, he didn't need to give us a free will. If God just wanted us to do his will, then he didn't need to give us a free will. If God just wanted us always to do it his way and to do the right thing all the time, he would not have had to give us the need to make choices in a free will. The only reason free will needs to exist is because you cannot force someone to love you. You cannot force somebody to love you. Love has to be a free choice. So God chose you freely, created you freely, created you with the ability to choose because in that freedom, if you choose him, then there's great relationship, but it must be your choice. Love has to be a free choice. And this is the tricky thing. Just because you're free to choose does not mean that you always choose freedom. Just because you're free to choose does not mean that your choices always give you more freedom. You can actually, in your freedom to choose, choose things in life that will abdicate your freedom. You can choose to capture yourself. You can choose to lock yourself. You can choose to be uh, captured by anything that would keep you from freedom. Interesting enough, how many of you grew up in homes where what you remember the most about your parents is the things they told you don't do? Any of, you, any of you have don't parents? Some of, some of you are, you know, what you remember about them is don't do that. Don't touch the hot iron. Don't do that. Don't run into the street without looking both ways. Don't do this. Don't do that. And, and, and honestly, as I look around this room, there was about half of you that raised your hands that you, don't have, that you had don't parents, and I frankly know that it's, it's more than that. And you want to know why I know most of you had don't parents? Because you're still alive. And here's what we need to understand as it relates to God and, and the don'ts that he asks us not to participate in. You see, they didn't, as your parents, give you the don'ts because they didn't want you to live and didn't want you to enjoy life. They gave you the don'ts because they didn't want one of the don'ts to steal your dues. They didn't want one of the choices you make to rob you of a life and a future that God had planned for you. And sometimes we look at God and the things that he asks us not to participate in and we think, he's robbing me of life. He doesn't want me to have any fun. It's exactly the opposite. He presents to you many choices and says to you, the things that I do not want you to do is not to rob you of life, it's to give you life so that you don't mess up the things and the choices that I have given you to do. Because God knows that some of the decisions that we make in our freedom can destroy our future. And he wants us to understand that the choices we make can lead us into a great future. You see, God's opening command is to eat freely. He says, I want you to be free, but in that freedom, we have to make choices, and we have made choices in that freedom that's changed the narrative. We brought death and destruction into the human story. It was not God. God gets blamed for a lot of things that we did. God gets blamed for a lot of things that we chose, and then we wonder why we get so angry at him. Why did you allow these things to happen? And he says, I gave you many great choices. But you chose the one that's destructive. And as a result of that, 
We are living in a world that is loaded with death and destruction. And we see things and we wonder, if there is a God, why doesn't he just fix everything? I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but all of you are dying. Some of you look better than others. Some of you looks like it may be a little farther off than others. But from the moment you were born, you were on a journey that will end in the death of every one of us. We will all end. Destruction, destruction is everywhere around us. This planet is in disarray. Humanity seems to only know how to tell the story of destruction. And there are people that say, how can God exist when there's hatred and disease and injustice and destruction on such massive levels? And that's what caused people to believe that there is no God. And if that is the case, then you've missed the point. Because all of this exists because when... Mankind was given a choice. They chose not freedom, but they chose destruction. So maybe when we look at the Scripture and we see that it says, See, I have set before you life and prosperity, death and destruction. The real answer is because God knows that all that is in front of us without Him is death and destruction. And the reason that He came is because He wanted to give us another option. He knew that the plans that we made for ourselves were going to end in destruction. So he comes and he says, I want to give you a new choice. I want to give you an opportunity in the middle of your death and destruction to make a new choice that can change everything. And so he's come to give us another option. God came to bring life and prosperity into an equation where we were already heading down a path of sin, sickness, and death. And because he wants to give us a future with a hope, he says to us today, choose life. Choose life. You see, those moments or those minutes have moments. And those moments have choices and those choices have power. Interesting enough, there's some interesting nuances in the way that the Greek terminology, that the Greek word that we use uh, that's translated moment comes to us. One of, one of the, the, the words, moments, we understand comes from the same root word as momentum. And some think that moments are stationary, but I want you to know for all of you who are science-minded, we are time travelers. You may not recognize it. We can't go back in time, but our life is a blur. Every second we live is a travel through time, and God is at work within us as we're traveling to the future and moving through these things. There's a momentum to our life. There's a momentum to our actions that oftentimes we, the choices we make determine how that's going to go. And so in the Greek word that we get our word moment from or momentum from is the word atomos. And from the word atomos, we get the word atom. An atom is the smallest particle. In other words, this moment, this minute, is an atom of time. But inside of this atom of time also, there is a potential to have an atomic explosion of what God wants to do. Every moment is loaded with potential, depending on the choices that we make. The smallest unit of time has the capacity to shake eternity. It is the perfect picture of what is hidden in a moment and hidden within the choices that you make within that moment. Statistics tell us, and honestly, I, as I was looking up the statistics, it was interesting to me how they, how they come to these decisions, but here's what they said. That the average person will make 773,618 decisions over their lifetime. You will make three-quarters of a million decisions over your lifetime. Here's the good news. 
Out of all of those three quarters of a million decisions, you are only going to regret 143,262. You will regret 143,262 decisions. So the typical adult makes about 27 judgments a day. And I don't know, as I was thinking about that, I don't know if those 143,000 decisions that we will regret will really come back to haunt us as much as if we get to the end of our life and we're looking back over it and we think about all of those moments that we had that we did not step into. I think the greatest regret comes in what we didn't do rather than what we did. And so all those moments have, that slipped away, all those moments that we just believed that our lives would be different, if I, had, if I had stepped into that moment, if I had taken that opportunity, if I engaged myself in that, if I fully stepped into that moment, in the power that I had to choose, I chose, and what I chose, I wish I had chose differently. If I could have jumped into that moment and didn't relinquish my responsibility to create momentum out of that atom of a moment, I believe our greatest regrets will be what we didn't do and not what we did. And some of you, frankly today, some of you are stuck in a bad moment. I think what happens to many of us is that we make choices in the past and those choices have momentum and, and the momentum that it began to carry us carried us in places that we did not want to go and did not want to do. And even though we're trying now to make new choices and better choices, it's almost as if we can't escape the, the momentum of the past choices. You two sang a song it's called Stuck in a Moment That You Can't Get Out Of. And on that particular album, they had a symbol for every song on that album. And the symbol for this song was there were four arrows, and each of them were pointed inward. And in the middle of those arrows was a dot. It was almost as if they were saying in this song that some of you are caught and you feel as if everything is pointing to you and you cannot get out of the momentum of the bad decisions that you have made and you are stuck in that moment and no matter what you do, you do not seem to be able to escape it. And you're stuck and that moment seems to hold you captive and some of you here today are still defined in your own mind by the worst moment of your life. You have let it capture you and keep you and it's haunting you and it's attached itself to you and today you define yourself by that worst moment and because of that moment you do not see much of a future. And I want you to know that the joy for me today is I get to present to you the power and the wonder of a God who says you still have a choice to make. That does not have to define you because God still gives you the power to choose. And out of the wonder of God and out of the love of God, he looks at you today and he says, there is a way out and today is a moment for you to get out of that which has led you down this pathway. And he said, see, today I have set before you life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I have commanded you today to love the Lord your God and to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, decrees, and laws. And then you will live and increase. I remember sitting after receiving a call that somebody I knew was contemplating ending their life. And I rushed to their home and as I sat in a room alone with them, I began to ask them questions as to what has led them to this place where they thought they had no future. 
And they begin to describe the very thing that I had just described, that the momentum of their life has led them to a point where their worst possible decisions and their worst possible moments had captured them and they felt there's nothing left living for. And I was able to talk to them about the fact that you still have a decision to make. Because God places before you life and prosperity, death and destruction. And the enemy will always try to tell you that your life is not worth it. And God always says there is a choice that you can make that will lead you out of what you have experienced in the past. And so he speaks to us and he says, I want you to see what the benefits of obedience are. He said, if you choose in this moment of time to accept what I am offering to you, then you will live and you will increase. I want you to know, regardless of what may have happened in your life up to this point, there is life and increase ahead of you if you will but choose what God is offering to you. You see, God never gives you a command or a decree or speaks into your life trying to limit you or trying to limit your life. He comes to give you life and to give you increase. He comes to give you choices and give you hope and to prosper you. He's come to give you more, not less. And Jesus today wants you to understand this. He is a door. And if you come to him and you walk through him and you discover him, what you will discover is that he is the opening to life. He's not the door that keeps you from life. And he is the one that opens the door and that through him there's life and more abundantly. Verse 19 says, This day I call heavens and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursings. I looked at this, and I I really contemplated this this week and began to pray about, Father, the, the significance of this. And here's what I've come to. God knows that there are going to be many people that will stand before him at judgment time and tell him, it's all your fault, God. You didn't come through for me the way I thought. There will be people that will stand before him and think they never had a choice. We've just given the mission so that the world can hear. He said, when everybody hears, the end will come. In other words, I need you to know, and he says, I am setting the heavens and the earth as a witness that when you stand before God, they will give witness that you had a choice. That you had a choice. That if you choose not to involve yourself into the Lord, then you have the choice. It was God's love for you and freedom that gave you the choice to choose a Christless eternity or an eternity with him. But he says, this day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you, that I gave you a choice. You see, death is already here, and destruction is already here, and pain is already here, but God says to us after that, now choose life. You can choose life in this moment, and this is where it begins. There are certain things that only God can do for you, but there are certain things that God cannot do for you. You see, God already chose life. Ironically, it was through his own death. But God already chose you, and he's waiting for you to choose him. God has already chosen for you a future and a hope and increase. He's already chosen for you life, but he is waiting for you to choose him so that you can enter into that life. But the choice is yours. Some of you will say, well, why doesn't God just fix everything and just give it to me? Listen closely. God has too much respect for you as a created individual in his likeness to ever steal from you 
the power to choose him or the power not to. The power to choose life or the power to choose death. He respects you so much because of the way you've been created to ever take away from you the ability to choose. And someday every one of us will stand before God and we will have to own the responsibility of our choices. And so he says to us, so choose life. I know what I have for you. So choose life, he said. Now there are some things we don't get to choose. I did not get to choose my parents. I didn't get to choose where I was born. I didn't get to choose the combination of ethnicities that I am. I didn't get to choose that I was born without any Latin blood, and so I have no rhythm whatsoever. I didn't get to choose where I was born, male or female. I didn't get to choose how tall or how short I was, and God and I have had several conversations about that since he decided how that would go. There's so many things about you that you don't get to choose, but you cannot from this moment on act as if you did not have the power to choose life or to choose death because that is your choice. And we all get it wrong from time. Here's the thing. What you didn't have the power to do was to choose whether or not you exist or not, but you do have the power to choose how you will exist and where you will exist and what your eternity will look like. That is well within your power to choose. Now choose life. Here's the tricky part the nuanced part that you need to see. Because it goes on to say, for the Lord is your life. For the Lord is your life. I have come to the conclusion based on conversations I've had through the years in ministry that there's a lot of people that would choose life if they could choose life without having to choose God. You see, what they want is everything that God offers, but they just don't want God. They said, I want the benefits, and I want the blessings, and I want the joys, and I want the direction. I just don't want to surrender my life to God. And if you've ever been into that dilemma, here's some things that I need you to know. Here's the problem. God cannot give you life apart from himself. Because God does not give life. God is life. He can't give you something. You either take him and enjoy it, but he can't give you something that is completely him. The only way you ever step into all of the benefits of life with him is to step into him, for he is life. Some of you say, I wish he would just give me his love. You know what? He can't just give you his love because God is love. And as you enter into relationship with him, you swim in his love. Everything your soul longs for, everything you so desperately long for in life is not something God gives to you. It's something that God is for you as you enter into him. So choose life, he says, for the Lord is your life. 